It's time for another episode of Mainly Modifieds, where ground pounders and northeast speed freaks come to get their radio fix on. Let's join the Race Chaser Media crew in the studio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Mainly Modifieds. I'm Tom Baker. And I will be joined by Kyle Souza momentarily. We have got uh, a good show planned for you this week, as we try always to do. Uh, and we are going to start the show with our featured interview. This week, Kyle was able to sit down with uh, the winner of the most recent NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour uh, event at White Mountain, Doug Kobe. And uh, we're also going to have some conversation about that event. We'll talk Tri-Track. We'll talk uh, Seekonk. Uh, we'll talk Stafford. Uh, all kinds of stuff to chat about uh, while we're uh, sitting around talking motorsports today. And we're going to get right started with today's featured interview. So here is Kyle Souza with Doug Kobe. Welcome back uh, to this week's edition of Mainly Modifieds. And uh, thanks, Tom, for the entry back in. Welcome now into the show, Doug Kobe, uh, six-time NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour champion. I don't think he needs much of an introduction. You know who he is. Uh, and he's coming off, uh, I'll ask him, but I think probably one of the biggest wins of his NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour career and probably his whole race career uh, this past Saturday at the White Mountain Motorsports Park. Doug, picking up your first win as a car owner uh, and driver all-in-one, that's going to be, again, that's probably, to me, one of your top wins in your career, and I'm sure you feel like uh, this one's kind of one of the more sweeter, too, that you've been able to pick up. Yeah, Kyle, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, it's been it's been a long career <laughs> and it's been a long road and, and I've worked with a lot of different teams, a lot of different people and uh putting putting the number ten team together this winter uh was a challenge. It was unexpected. Um, not even really the route that I wanted to take, uh, but kind of felt like, you know, it made the most sense given the the season was approaching and whatnot. And, and yeah, you know, um, a lot of people don't know the conversations that I had that led to nothing. And uh, a lot of the things that we worked on and the, the equipment that we uh, tried to buy that then, you know, kind of was already sold um, and then making sure people were still on board and sponsors were still on board. And then of course we're hit with this pandemic situation where now we don't even know where we're racing and what we can offer to our sponsors. So uh, the fact that we've been uh, competitive at the first three events, uh, really competitive, obviously, at the first three events, um, and then getting getting the win, uh, given all the circumstances put together. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool feeling. Um, I think it, it's really great to, again, keep our sponsors in the, the limelight and have everybody kind of see that that our team is, you know, still moving ahead and and it's it's really just a great feeling to see the people that I really care about and I like working with. It's awesome to see us, you know, have the success together. Yeah, so you have a guy like Phil Moran, uh, which really, to me, uh, on top of you as the driver, is probably the most important piece of that puzzle, um, you know, getting your team together. And, and there's other guys on the team, too, that I know are really important. But without Phil, uh, your maintenance, you know, your setup, your, your discussion and, and communication at the track changes. Um, but has it been any different at the track with somebody like him? I know you kept a good chunk of the crew together, but your communication with him, I'm sure is not any different, but has every, anything else been different? The unloading stuff like that, just now that you don't have a guy like Smirglio kind of there handling everything, or is it just simply, you know, business as it was before? I'd say business as it was before. I mean, we were really lucky on the two team that everybody that was on the team had a job and uh, knew what their job was. And, you know, when it came to getting the cars ready and loading the, the hauler and, 
you know, unloading at the track and, and what we do as far as practice and getting ready for qualifying. I mean, all of that's still the same because the people are the same. And that has been a, an easy part of this adjustment, which is literally just we're all, you know, wearing different shirts. And because uh, I finally got them this weekend, different shirts and, uh, you know, working on a, a car with a different number on it. So uh, that's been the easiest thing for all of us, without a doubt. And, and Phil would probably echo my, my thoughts here that, you know, nothing has changed as far as the setups uh, or as far as, um, you know, anything that we do as a team, you know, conversation wise and communication wise. So that's been, uh, that's been really easy for us. I mean, of course we're trying to get faster. So we've been, you know, trying some stuff and working with some um, product suppliers on, you know, keeping new parts on the car and trying their latest stuff. I mean, we just tried a brand new set of calipers from Willwood Brakes this weekend that I don't know that anybody else in short track racing is even running. Uh, so we're kind of, you know, fortunate enough to have a great relationship with Willwood to, to have access to that stuff. And, uh, you know, it all adds up to a, a piece of the puzzle that makes the whole thing work. So, yeah, we're uh, we're in a good spot when it comes to people and and product sponsors and and all of course all of our financial sponsors too. Um, you know, in a good spot to be able to, you know, go race to race here and just you know get through the season. You know, with whatever they hand us as a schedule. So you got White Mountain twice now, uh, two out of the first three races, uh, and obviously when the the original schedule came out pre-COVID, that place wasn't even on the radar uh, for 2020. What's the thought on that track though? I know the first time. Uh, you guys went there. There was that bump on the back straightaway that concerned a good chunk of you after practice. It seemed to work out during the race. And now you've run there a second time. Uh, so just overall thoughts on the facility. And, and is that somewhere that you'd like to see the tour go in the future too? Yeah. I mean, that's not a bump on the back stretch. That's a, that's a whole nother world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's no, no track in America. I don't think that has a, a flat, a flat spot that long and that aggressive on the backstretch for the outside car when you're running side by side. But I'll tell you what, I mean, I love little short tracks, the little bull rings, and I especially love the ones that have a lot of grip and white mountain uh, fits my profile. So to say as a track that I, you know, would really enjoy racing on, you know, as often as possible. So you're never going to hear me complain about, you know, having to go turn laps on a little short track like that, that has, you know, uh, a lot of little quirks that you have to be savvy about where you put your car and, you know, you might screw up one or two times, but make sure you don't do it again type track. And, you know, we run a couple other tracks like that. As Monadnock is the one that comes to mind. Uh, Wall Stadium comes to mind where, you know, you're going to screw up in, in a 200 lap race at any of those types of tracks. But, you know, you're going to put your car in the wrong spot that you just missed by 10 inches, you know. Um, but you're not going to do it again if you realize what happens. So I loved it there. Um, and I'm not saying that because I won. I liked it the first time. I raved about the track when I finished third. And, and maybe used up my car a little bit, chasing Matt Hirschman early. Um, but this time we came back with a, a setup that uh, after we left the first race with the new car, we said, you know, there were just some things that we kind of kicked ourselves for uh, not having in the car for the first race. And we brought it back that way for the second race. And I, I just knew from practice that we had a different beast uh, to race with that day. And not to say that I knew we were going to win, but I knew that uh, if we could keep the car like that for most of the race, that we would be super competitive for the whole 200 laps. And, and ultimately that's, you know, that's what our car did. It just kind of performed when it needed to and uh, got to play around on the track and 
that track tends to have uh, the groove changes in both corners through the, the course of the race. I'd say probably every 50 laps. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if that's because at some point they had a, um, a syrup put down or if there's different pavement that, that picks up rubber, rubber differently. But uh, it's really challenging because you can't you, you could have a car that's going great for 25 laps in one groove. And then all of a sudden it starts to change and you just have to put it somewhere else. Right. And the car is still just as good. So it's a ton of fun. I, I love the chess match games on the short tracks. It's probably my, my, it's almost the equivalent of drafting at Loudon where, well, you know, you're always around other cars and you just have to make the right move at the right time. And uh, that's, that's the type of racing that I prefer more so than like some of the half mile tracks where we string it out and we all just kind of, run the fastest lap possible every lap you yeah, know like a qualifying lap <laughs> yeah exactly so two times there i don't know what the future holds maybe more there this year um but you <laughs> went to jennerstown back in june you're going back there on the 22nd so you get a little bit of a break and then a week later uh after jennerstown you're gonna be at monadnock for the first time in a couple of years i mean what were your initial thoughts on jennerstown you guys ran pretty well before the break there i know there probably was a, a, an adjustment that went the wrong way on the pit stop but then monadnock you haven't been there in a while um, and I guess that's 2020 for you, but it throws you back at a track where, you know, it's, I don't, I don't want to say it's equal playing field, but everybody hasn't been there in a bit. So it's going to be kind of back to square one for some of you. Yeah. Jennerstown is an awesome track. And I knew that obviously from racing Kirk Chase's car there twice in 2003 and 2006. Um, so, so I was excited to go there the first time and I was really happy that our car came out of the, the gate and we were strong in practice, strong in qualifying and strong in the race. And then, like you said, uh, we were just chasing the 51 at the beginning part of that race and kind of knew that they were going to make their car better. So we knew we had to take a little bit of a swing to make our car more competitive than we actually just up and made it way too tight and fell back through the field a little bit on the, the restart and then had to kind of settle in and race there. Um, so I think Jennerstown was a race that if we had made the right adjustment, we could have won. And we just made the wrong adjustment and, and fell to like fifth to 10th. Um, so going back there, obviously, we have a game plan uh, for what we're going to do to tackle that track again. And uh, it's going to be a different race. It's a Saturday night show. Uh, luckily, they will have fans in the stands. And uh, that's a, a pretty cool track. They get a pretty big crowd. Um, so that'll be a different show than the day show that we did. You know, they crammed the schedule into like a three-hour window, <laughs> basically, for the right. – everything from uh, practice qualifying and racing. So we'll have some more time to, to think about what we want to do with the car and hopefully be better. And then, yeah, we go to Monadnock, uh, which I, truthfully Monadnock is very similar to White Mountain um, in terms of size and in terms of, you know, the backstretch oddities and stuff like that. So uh, I'm really excited to bring our, uh, our American made Mayhew tools car back there. The red, white, and blue car will be up at Monadnock and, uh, you know, we won there in 2015, uh, and then uh, I think we finished in the top top five there in the last three shows. So I, I think we'll be really solid. And you know, that's one of those tracks where you got to qualify good, you got to start up front and manage your tires, and then make sure the last 50, 60 laps you got a car that's not not getting free up off a of turn four, especially. So we're going to really hone in on that and practice and. Give it a go. Uh, so far, we've had a, a really good short track program. I'm, you know, even back to the two car, obviously, uh, we, we've been really solid at the quarter mile tracks for the last three or four years and uh, probably hope to continue that when we go to Monadnock. Yeah, Monadnock, you look back at your stats there. You finished uh, six starts there, finished uh, sixth or better in all but one of them. So 
Uh, obviously a, a good track for you. The last question, and we've asked this to a couple drivers, uh, and there's only going to be four, five, six of you that are going to be in contention for this championship. I think the cool thing about this uh, from a fan perspective is you don't know when that championship is going to be decided. It could be at Monadnock on August 29th. It could be at Loudoun for the full throttle. It could be somewhere else if there are races added or eliminated. Um, but you've won six championships, all of them in, in full seasons, nothing similar to this. Uh, if you win your seventh championship in a COVID-shortened six to seven race season, do, do you feel like that's going to have any asterisk near it? I mean, is it going to make you feel any different that you won the title that way? Or even on the flip side, if somebody else wins it, um, do you put an asterisk near them? I mean, I, I don't know the best way to ask it, but does it does it feel different, I guess? Yeah, it does. Um I would say that if somebody wins a championship this year and we only run six or seven races, I mean, if you haven't had to go slug it out at Riverhead and Stafford and Thompson between, you know, almost 10 races between those three tracks, uh, you know, it's certainly a different feeling, uh, but it is what it is. I mean, uh, we're all in the same position and, and we all have to uh, figure out how, how we're going to race every week. And um I would say I don't think any of us are really even thinking about points in a sense because we just don't know when it started and when it ends. Um, so I would say Justin would probably agree with me that we're just going to every race to to win, number one, because uh, that's really what pays the best and, and makes it worthwhile. And then number two, to not wreck and not have a bad week, you know, um, because truthfully, if there's only six races this year, then I want all six of them to go well. Um, and And that's... I would say that I would, if I end up winning whatever they call a championship and it's not a, uh, it's not a 13 to 16 race season or more. Uh, yeah, I would put an asterisk next to it. Um, and I would do the same thing even for my championship when we didn't win the car owner championship, we won the driver championship and, and Ryan Priest's team won the car owner championship. There's a little bit of an asterisk next to that one too. So, um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I, I don't think we're all going to be, I don't think we should all be measured by, you know, the numbers and the championships and how they happened and when they happened. It's just, you know, go out there and try to win races and have a good time. Uh, you know, none of us are in control of this. So whoever wins is the, is the winner is the champion, but it's definitely not going to be the same as grinding it out through a 17 to 18 race schedule. Yeah. Brings up a lot of discussion about what could be coming uh, with this championship. And again, we just don't know. Uh, neither do you, neither do I. And I honestly don't think that Jimmy Wilson knows, uh, the Modified Tour director, what could be coming uh, over the next couple of months. Doug, before we let you go, I as always want to give you a chance. Who uh, supports this number 10 team? Uh, you mentioned Willwood. I know Mayhew Tools is on there. But uh, who is making it happen for you to be able to compete in any races that Modified Tour kind of puts together here for 2020? Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, John Lawless and the Mayhew Tools people are our number one uh, huge help for us. Um, Boomer from Modulesky's Towing stepped up big this year, as did uh, Kim from Reynolds Auto Wrecking. Um, they've, they're kind of our, our main deal. Uh, we've got a lot of product sponsors, you know, JRI Shocks, Ernest Performance, uh, LFR Chassis, of course, um, Willwood, uh, BA Headers. Um, we've just got a lot of, a lot of people who step up and say, hey, you know, we know that you guys are starting a new team and trying to get some new stuff done. Um, Tilton has been great to us. Um, uh, Buzzy Performance has been great to us. So there's uh, there's a lot of people who are, like, you know, really good with Phil, and they love to see, you know, Phil's cars go around the track. And uh, obviously with me driving it, we're just a really good good team and hopefully a good representative for all those people. So 
uh, Robert Yates Racing Engines. I also want to mention them. So uh, there are more, but uh, we'll uh, we'll save that for another conversation. And you know, I just really appreciate all the help that we get from our crew and sponsors, uh, especially with the uncertainty of you know where we have to travel, how long we're going to be there. And of course, the extra things that extra precautions we have to take due to COVID. So um, it's a tough season, but we're uh, chipping away and luckily to get that first win. Uh, hopefully there's a few more here, no matter how, how long or short the season is. Yeah, there's going to be a, an interesting couple of months here. Uh, as we're already into August, you got September, October, and maybe November. Who knows uh, what Jimmy Wilson yeah. and his gang uh, will be able to put together. I think they'll take what they can get at this point and get you on the track. Doug, want to really, really thank you again. Uh, for a chunk of your time here in the middle of the week. Really appreciate it, and uh, look forward to seeing you at Jennerstown here. And it seems like far away, but it's going to come up quick. Uh, and we wish you the best of luck the rest of the season. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. Thanks for having me, and uh, we'll talk hopefully another time. All right, that's been Doug Kobe. When we come back, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. Stafford, uh, their weekly program. Seekonks running with no fans coming up. Uh, what kind of barriers is that going to put them in uh, financially? Talk about that more uh, around the corner. Stick with us. Victory Custom Trailers is a new and used trailer and RV dealership specializing in motor coaches, toter homes, race trailers, stackers, and lift gates. Their number one priority is to provide the absolute best customer service and deliver the finest quality trailers and coaches with flawless fit and finish. With over 200 coaches and trailers in stock, they are sure to have what you're looking for. If you're looking for something more custom, they can assist you in designing a trailer to meet your specifications so you will not be disappointed. In fact, you can design your very own trailer right from their website. For more information, just go to the website. You can check their inventory online. It's VictoryCustomTrailers.com. That's VictoryCustomTrailers.com. Is your job sucking the life out of you? Wake up. You can do something else. Information technology. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not a math or science person. No excuses. No problem. It's not rocket science. It's my computer career. Helping people start an IT career is their thing. If you don't absolutely love what you do, go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. You can start your new life as an information technology professional in as little as four months. Attend classes on campus or live online just two or three times a week to get what you'll need to start your new career. More than just a school, My Computer Career helps you get into the industry by working with hundreds of employers that hire their students. My Computer Career is nationally accredited and financial aid is available for those who qualify, including the GI Bill. Classes start soon, so go take the career evaluation now at mycomputercareer.edu. Mycomputercareer.edu. That's mycomputercareer.edu. Welcome back to Mainly Modifieds as we continue with this week's show. Uh, again, just hearing from Doug Kobe finally getting uh, his first win, I should say, uh, finally, it's really only been a handful of races this year on the tour. Kyle Souza, as we bring you in to talk about uh, Doug's accomplishment. But um, I think you and I talked about the fact uh, the last uh, couple weeks here that, you know, I know I said that uh, I just didn't think the law of averages was going to allow uh, Justin Bonsignor to win out here. And uh, sure enough, uh, Doug Kobe getting his first win and, you know, really happy to to see that for him, too, to be honest, because he really has worked hard for that win. Obviously, new role as a car owner and a lot of um, 
you know, a lot of extra stress and responsibility when you're doing it all yourself. Well, I think that's the biggest thing for me, Tom. You look back at what Kobe's done uh, in his in his career. He's driven for multiple different car owners and uh, won championships for two different. Wayne Darling uh, back in 2010 and then Smringlio uh, in that Terry went on winning multiple uh, six overall titles. I mean, you know, becoming a car owner and driver at the same time is a big deal. Don't get me wrong. It, it, it's a big adjustment. Um, and, you know, he said in the interview, been business as usual at the track, but you kind of hear him talk about how everything behind the scenes is much different. Uh, usually he just kind of showed up to the shop, you know, probably helped out a little bit, talked, enjoyed himself, uh, and didn't have to worry about the behind the scenes, you know, nibble checks uh, that were coming in or out as much as Smiriglio did. Now he's got to worry about that, making sure the car is ready with Phil Moran, which I know Phil, you know, maintains that, takes care of that for him. Right. Trust Phil with that. But then he's got to go to the track and drive the thing too. So, um, you know, it's been a fight for him uh, to get the team off the ground. And then COVID, you know, maybe in some ways it helped him, Tom, honestly. Um, the COVID pandemic helping him to, to really get things set straight, make sure he had everything right in there. And then, well, yeah. you know, if we would have raced at South Boston in March, it might have been a different story. I don't think he would have been 110% ready. Um, but the couple months off got him ready. And here he is in victory lane. And yeah, no surprise. I mean, you know, you knew he was going to win eventually. Um, and he's, it's not like he hasn't been strong either. So uh, great job by Doug. Uh, and always great to catch up with him. Uh, a rising star in the, the Hall of Fame discussion in my book. Um, you know, down the road, years from now, he should be in the NASCAR Hall of Fame with what he's been able to accomplish. And, uh, you know, happy to see him back in victory lane. Well, you know, Doug is one of those racers. I mean, obviously, the, the modified tour we all know it probably doesn't get the respect it deserves in terms of the NASCAR lexicon, you know, nationally necessarily. Um, and I think some of that is part and parcel of it being mostly a Northeast tour at this point. There's not, um, I think, you know, obviously this year we were going to go to Iowa. We we're going to have a, have a race at Martinsville. I think some of that w- would help to elevate the status of some of these drivers um, to some of the fans outside of the Northeast and New England or the East Coast anyway. Um, but, you know, I think Kobe's one of these drivers that certainly deserves to be in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And, you know, just I'll just throw this in and we can, you know, carry on and talk about it at some other point. But, you know, Tony Stewart uh, and Reverend have got that new series for next year that's kind of a short track IROC business model. Um, and I think Doug Kobe is the kind of a driver that ought to be considered for an opportunity in that series. Uh, you know, you get guys like him, you get Bubba Pollard from the late model side of things. You know, these are guys that I believe certainly have the talent, and the capability of the, uh, you know, the guys that we all know at the national level. They just never, for one reason or another, never got their opportunity. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think Kobe's certainly a a NASCAR Hall of Famer. But, you know, when you look at this race, I mean, really, um, John McKennedy gets the pole and, you know, and, and runs up front for a bunch of time. Um, he and Pastriak were both really fast. And, and you know, this was just, um, you know, we, we talked about how going back to White Mountain a second time might shift the balance a little bit with some of these guys who maybe were you know not the guys we would have talked about winning the first race 
but you give them a second time at the track to get their setup dialed in a little more, and you know, and maybe you'd see them running up front. And I think we saw that with both McKennedy and Pastriak over the weekend. Yeah, and I think there's more uh, to that list as well. And it's a good point. The first time they go there, they had never seen the track. Right. Um, and, and the guys that ran well the first time are the guys that I expect to run well uh, in a situation like that. Exactly. Colby, Justin Bonsing, or Matt Hirschman. Um, so they go there for a second time. Excuse me. Bless you. Um, thank you. <laughs> um, and they go there for the second time, and you're right. I mean, these guys have another opportunity to look back at what, what their car did, um, evaluate what setups they can run, and make changes. And then, you know, you mentioned John McKennedy. Uh, Tommy Baldwin figured out exactly what he needed to do to show up there a second time and, and be a major threat to go to victory lane. I mean, you look back at the practice results uh, from Saturday at White Mountain. McKennedy's ninth, decent practice run, nothing you know amazing, but he goes out and wins the Mayhew Tools Pole Award his second career uh, with with a good lap on eleven five oh six, which is extremely fast around there to begin with. Um, and you mentioned Pastjak as well, qualifying second. He's got one career pole back at Stafford last year, uh, and he shows that he can be a contender. And those guys ran up front early in that race. There was, you know, really, at least for the first half, um, McKennedy leading the first 133 yeah. or so laps, uh, minus Pastjak getting one or two from him, and then Kobe getting one or two from him there in the middle. I think McKennedy uh, probably in total led just over 100, maybe 126 or 130 laps. Uh, total, um, but you know they get together uh, at the midpoint of the race. After the midpoint of the race, it's probably somewhere around lap 140 or so. I want to say uh, McKennedy and Pasquale get together. Uh, they both kind of half spin uh, in some sorts. It was weird. Uh, they both kind of kept going, but the caution comes out. Whatever the case, um, McKennedy ends up finishing fourth. Pasquale, unfortunately for him. Uh, not as good of a day uh, that, that he would have liked uh, when the checkered flag came out after such a strong run early. He finishes 20th uh, a couple laps down. So, uh, But McKennedy fourth, good run for him. Tommy Baldwin and the gang, uh, a strong car. Pasjak as well. Uh, really, I think at the end there, um, just too much for them to handle when it comes to Duck Kobe. I mean, they just, they just couldn't stop him. Um, so he takes over the lead. Uh, pretty late in the race, actually, for the final time. Uh, lap 184, the final time he took the lead from a Kennedy who had went on a restart uh, briefly. Uh, and he leads the final 17 laps around to the win. But another guy, Tom, another two guys, really. Matt Swanson finished third. That's no surprise yeah. to me. They, they've been so strong. Um, you know, we mentioned last week about the tri-track strong race for him. Uh, he's been strong. But the other guy to watch who finished second after starting way back in 18th with Kyle Bonsignor. And that, that, that was kind of a surprise to me. He came out of nowhere late. Uh, he does have that one career tour win in the fall final at Stafford a couple of years ago. But here's another guy that went back there for a second time and really hit on something in the second half of that race to be able to drive from back in 18th up to second, where, honestly, Tom, that's hard to do on a tour that's this competitive. Well, it is, but it also shows you, I think, that a track like White Mountain kind of lends itself to this kind of a thing. Again, it's a, it's it's a it's sort of a different track for for the tour to run. Um, you know, it's a it's basically a bull ring, so it really is. You know, it opens itself up to you know whoever nails the setup on the day. It's not as easy. Um, I mean, honestly, McKennedy leading that many laps was really a surprise to me in a lot of ways because I figured you'd see more leaders this time around just because I thought, 
there would be more equal cars. And I think, I think there were, but I think it took some of them, um, you know, and Kyle Bonsignor is a great example of this. It took some of them, uh, the, the entirety of the race to hit their peak. And, and so not everybody was running as good at the same time, but it, it really, um, was a good run for Kyle Bonsignor. And I'm happy for Swanson too. And I think, you know, this, now you start to see a little bit of a pattern here. You know, he had the good run at the tri-track race. Now he's got a top, a podium on the, on the tour. Um, I think now you're starting to see uh, what Matt Swanson and Team Bowler can do together. And I think that that momentum will likely carry itself through the rest of the season. So um, great run for McKennedy, though, and for Kyle Bonson. You were both, I thought, uh, you know, I thought both of them really showed themselves well. And, and, and of course, uh, past react as well um you know it was a good race and and uh and good to see kyle get uh, kobe rather get that win um because again this is a this this was a risky venture for him you know anytime i mean obviously at good equipment you got good people around you the risk of course is that you now own it yourself and you have to bear all of you know the the brunt of the business so to speak instead of um basically being a um a paid employee, if you will, for somebody else, um, you know, now it's all on you. And so um, good to see that team come out and get a win. Uh, again, I, I don't think this is going to be a year when anybody really dominates. I think Justin Bonsignor kind of, you know, I mean, yeah, he was hot the first few races, but again, the law of averages caught up with him and he had a bit of an off race this time at White Mountain. So now we go to, um you know, Jennerstown and then and then to Monadnock. And I think, you know, Jennerstown, I'm sure that um, Justin will be back where he needs to be. But Kobe's coming off a win. And, you know, so he's going to have a little extra swagger. And you got some of these guys um, that are obviously very close and uh, want to put it over the top. I just I think this is these next couple of races are going to be very interesting to see if Kobe can steal Justin's spotlight, Kyle, or if. Uh, you know, Bonsignor comes right back to the top again. Yeah, I think there's a, a there's a lot to unpack with this tour right now. Never mind the schedule, just the, the competition at the front end of the field. Yeah. Uh, and I've said this before, this is a top-end heavy tour. Uh, the top 10 or 12 guys, to me, are the guys that have a shot at winning. Uh, and then everybody else in the 28-car field is, is realistically, you know, barring a miracle, probably not going to go to victory lane. Um, and, and I think that's the same in all levels of auto racing. It's well, the same in the Cup Series, it's the same in the Xfinity Series. Um, and you know, you mentioned Bonsignor. He's he had an off night. Uh, he'll tell you they they just I think his exact words were we sucked. Um, <laughs> they just weren't good. And that's really, if you look back to me, the first time since he paired with Ryan Stone at the beginning of 2018 uh, that he's not been good. And that's a huge testament to what they've been able to do. Right. Uh, the, but that you know, that's the literally the first time that I can remember back and say they just were not good all day. Um, they didn't unload good, which is so rare of them. They didn't qualify that great, and they didn't race good. Uh, no. And somehow, he's able to still finish fifth, which is, you know, to me, to me, that's a sign of trouble for the other competitors. He's had an off day. <laughs> yeah, when your worst um, day is a fifth. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he he really was not good at all. <laughs> Uh, and he still managed fifth. So looking ahead, you know, he's nine points up in the championship over Kobe, who's now second. Uh, McKennedy's third, 16 back. And then Kyle Bonsignor and Craig Lesser tied for fourth, both 23 points back. Calvin Carroll had another good run 
uh, top 10 finish for him uh, there. Up next, Tom, for the tour, a uh, little bit of a break again. They're not back on the track until August 22nd, which is just a couple small weeks away now. Uh, back at Jennerstown, you mentioned for round two, this time expecting to have fans as of now. And then a return to the high banks of Monadnock Speedway for the first time in many years uh, on August the 29th, to round out August. After that, you know, I was up at New Hampshire Motor Speedway for the Cup Series race this weekend uh, as well, talking to some people up there. It does sound like, as of right now, full throttle weekend with the Musket 200 is going to happen, barring some change. That's still on the schedule and good. working good. Uh, you know, two Riverhead races are still on the schedule. Not sure how that's going to play out. We'll wait and see. Uh, but, you know, generous tournament had not two confirmed races in a row, and I think this is really the first time we've had any sort of stability here. Uh, and that championship battle, you know, who knows how many races we're going to run. It could be five. It could be six. It could be ten. I, you know, you just don't know. Are they going to find races at different tracks all of a sudden? Unlikely. So I think you're probably looking at six to seven races here. Uh, and this championship, you know, that fifth place finish for Justin Bonsinger could have saved him because one really bad day probably this year takes you right out of it. Well, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think I think he might have had one. He could have, uh, you know, that he could have thrown away as a mulligan. But uh, certainly to, to to come out of it with a top five um, makes it much less impactful. Um, you know, two races at Riverhead, who knows? It doesn't look encouraging in New York. I mean, you know, Cuomo keeps extending the ban on fans. It's now up to the 29th of August, which puts it uh, one week before the Oswego Classic Weekend, um, where the tour was scheduled to run, of course. So, you know, that's the following weekend. So I guess we'll see. I mean, I, I, nothing's going to happen before the end of August, and I'm just not seeing anything that tells me that uh, that that Cuomo is going to suddenly change his mind and start opening things up again. I mean, it it because there's nothing of a Cuomo uh, of a COVID uh, sort that would you know would really explain why he's even extending it to the end of the month because there are a number of counties in New York state right now with absolute zero uh, cases going on, nobody in the hospital, whatever. So, um, you know, I think there, I think there's a different agenda at work in that situation. So I guess we'll have to wait and see, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on anything in New York, uh, at least as of right now, so yeah, you're probably looking at about what's I think this was our was this our fifth race that we just ran? Third. No, unfortunately. Only, only three? <laughs> Gosh, it seems like we've run more than that, doesn't it? Um so yeah, I think you're looking at probably five to six races unless they can add somewhere else. Uh you know, I, I don't I again, um it changes by the day, but as of this moment, um, nobody it, that I talk to in New York State who's plugged in at all is being very encouraging that anything's going to happen um, at all this summer in New York State uh, in terms of fans. So that just makes it almost impossible for those tracks to to take the shot and run the tour with you know the uh, the cost that's associated with that. So uh, it it definitely uh, looks like maybe five to six, maybe seven. Um, somewhere in that area but um and again i think uh i i think this is still a little bit of uh i think we could say that probably at the moment kobe and justin bonsignor are the two guys to keep keep your eye on for the championship i think we've seen enough 
to establish that. But again, you know, um, we've got two races coming up. If if uh, either of the two of them falter and somebody like a Swanson or, you know, somebody like that goes out and wins, who knows? So um, it's kind of it, it's kind of a wacky uh, season. We we see some of the same things with Kobe and Bonson. You're dominating Kyle, but yet at the same time, you're seeing some other names at the front of the field. And, um, you know, it certainly feels like uh, there still could be a potential dark horse. But I think uh, I think if you come out of Jennerstown and you've got either Kobe or Bonson, you are at the top. And especially if either of them win there, um, it gets a lot harder for anybody else to to knock them off the perch. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens next up on tour. Yeah. August the 22nd uh, at Jennerstown. Bonsi were winning the opener there uh, back in June. Uh, so see what he does. He won the opener at White Mountain. They showed up with a setup that wasn't good enough the second time. Right. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure they're going to go back to work. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, I think they're going to be uh, major contenders, I'm sure, for the victory when the tour returns to Jennerstown. So there, there's your tour update coming off this past Saturday. Thanks to Doug Kobe. Uh, for taking a few minutes to join us in his busy schedule, not only as a car owner, but a real estate uh, guru as well, getting some houses sold in this tough time. So uh, thanks to him. Tri-Track, Tom, back on the track next on August yep. the 15th. I mentioned Monadnock for the tour on the 29th. Well, Tri-Track's going to get their stab at Monadnock first uh, on the 15th, the second time this year that they'll run uh, at that New Hampshire bull ring. Of course, you remember the first time uh, that crazy finish, Craig Lutz and, and Les Hinckley, uh, that bump and run in the final turn, getting yep. lots of victory. They're going back there for a second time. Uh, and after that, you know, talk about the schedule in a minute. You know, questions in the wind there about the schedule Schedule after Manadnock because I don't know what's going to happen uh, as far as the remainder of 2020. But short bow ring style track. This is just where tri-track fits, man. They, they run these small bow rings. Uh, and to me, it produces some great racing. And, and you're going to get, again, something I know you've seen uh, in places like New York and Oswego, where there's locals that run the division weekly, yep. and then they get some invaders come in, uh, like Tri-Track, and it's the same thing with us. Guys like Ben Byrne, who run the weekly modified division there, almost won the last time the Tri-Track was there. I mean, it's the great battle between these local Manhattanite guys and these touring invaders, and that's what produces, uh, to me, such a good show. Well, I agree, and, you know, that's that's what, to me, that's what, I've said this before. It's what makes New England so special is you've got, you've still got a bunch of modifieds that run different tracks locally. You got the SK division that feeds them deliciously, um, to use a different sort of a word, um, and steadily. And then you've got these tours. And I think again, the tri track is the working man's modified tour. And, uh, the format is amazing. The tracks they choose to run at are amazing. Um, such that you get the kind of racing and sometimes the kind of controversy that that we got the last time that uh, they went there, and so I would uh, I would definitely look forward to more of the same this time. Um, I guess the question becomes with the tour race looming two weeks after the tri track race, do we see some wheel and tour teams? show up to run the tri-track race as a way of getting some practice and test time in for their show two weeks later, Kyle, if we do you think we'll see that. And if we see that, who would you think would be most likely to uh, participate? 
Yeah, this is a tough question. Um, and I, I've talked to a couple of drivers about it already. The difference with Tri-Track is they run a little bit different of a tire compound, right. uh, a little bit different tire setup um, than the Tour does. So, it, it, you know, is it useless to go there and test? No. Is it 100% beneficial? No. Uh, it's kind of a middle ground there that these yeah. teams have got to figure out. Um, and, you know, I think you're going to get some of them. I think Eric Adele, who ran at Star with Tri-Track, is probably going to go to Manette Knox. Uh, but I think you're going to get guys that go more out of simply just wanting to run a race um, than strictly going there to test. Yeah, it's probably beneficial a little bit to go there and test, um, but I don't think it's going to help you a, a whole lot um, when it comes time to the tour. What I think it does help you with is things like the lifting point, the throttle point, well, yeah, if you need braking, exactly. um, you know, things like that. It's not so much the setup to me. It's so much learning the track if you don't know it too well or you haven't been there in a while. And none of these guys have really been there in a while. I know Craig Lutz has been there, uh, you know, winning the tri-track race, and Goodale is probably going to go to this one. But uh, that, to me, is the biggest difference. It'd be, I think it's a good opportunity for these guys to go and practice um, to learn the track again. I mean, they haven't run there since at least 2016. So that's four years now. Uh, it makes a difference. Tracks don't usually change a ton like that, but... They might a little bit, uh, and I think to me it's a good opportunity for them to just take a look at it and right. get an evaluation in and, and try to get just a few laps before the rest of the guys get there with them on the 29th. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, again, with a different tire, you're not going to nail your setup perfectly, but I do see a lot of advantage for the teams, um, for these drivers to go and just get time on the racetrack if they haven't raced there. And, um I mean, I don't know which ones or ones of them would take advantage. Um, you know, you and I have talked before about the fact that, you know, we wish there could be more crossover between the various uh, tours and series because that obviously just makes life more interesting. But um, I would think you'd get a few at least to uh, to go and, and, and take advantage of the opportunity. The Manadnock show, tour show, uh, kind of put together – you know, late in the going here, obviously, uh, after uh, they were scheduled at Tri-Track. So it kind of fell in that uh, you got a two-week separation and an opportunity to use the Tri-Track race as a little bit of test and tune if you want to. So it will be interesting to see how many teams take advantage of that. Um, and the thing that I like about Tri-Track is, again, you look at the field, the the regulars, the drivers who normally compete in that series – it's a very deep field, very competitively deep field. And I think the tour this year, you said earlier it was top heavy, you know, outside of the 10 or 12, um, you know, not a lot of guys with a good chance to win. But I do think there's a lot of middle in the Wheeling tour this year. I think there's, you look at the top 10 or 12, okay, there may be 10 guys that you say, okay, outside of these 10, the rest probably, unless something really freak happens, are not going to win. However, um, I would look at from about, say, fifth or sixth spot back and say there's probably 15 guys in that series and that the Wheeling tour that could, you know, could finish between fifth and 10th and certainly make things difficult for the, you know, the three or four or five hot dogs um, in the Tri-Track series. I feel like there are simply about 12 to 15 hot dogs who could all race for a win. You know, and, and that really makes it interesting, especially, as you say, because they pick so many of these smaller tracks. And, and the format of their shows is um, is designed for maximum fan appreciation as well. Um, so, yeah, this should be a 
a great show coming back to uh, Monadnock on the 15th of August. Yeah, I agree. I think there's going to be a heck of a battle again at Monadnock. Uh, looking forward to that. I mentioned the schedule. You know, two races at Seekonk scheduled to end the year. Uh, no fans at Seekonk right now, and that, that's just not going to be possible with no right. fans. So yep. uh, waiting to see what the state of Massachusetts allows and doesn't allow, similar to New York. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, there's a tri track update uh, for this week. Stafford, uh, back in action this coming uh, this past Friday night. Um, uh, the way that the Stafford deal is working is they're running every Friday and a couple of Saturdays here and there. Um, and it's, it's been a great show, Tom. Every Friday they run. I've caught a couple of them on their pay-per-view system, StaffordSpeedway.tv. Um, and I think it's been a, a phenomenal effort for a lot of these guys uh, on this Stafford campaign, not only from the driver's perspective, but behind the scenes as well, um, that have been able to put together one heck of a show um, in 2020 so far. So props to them. Uh, this past Friday night, Corey DiMatteo picking up his first career SK modified win. Alexander Pearl winning again in the SK Lights. And the biggest story I want to touch on from Stafford Top for this week was the street stock race and Meg Fuller uh, picking up her first uh, win uh, as a high school graduate. Uh, and honestly, she was a high school graduate, I guess, uh, but she missed the graduation to go compete on <laughs> Friday night at Stafford. Uh, and I would have done the same thing if I was her. Um, but hell, that, that's one way to go out, man. Not, not graduating, uh, at, with your friends, uh, at high school, but going to Stafford Motor Speedway and winning on your graduation night. That to me is, uh, that's a good stuff. You might be a committed racer if that's, uh, that's really how that, uh, that goes. And, you know, I, I always think in a way it's kind of, uh, you only get one graduation. So I always like to see. Uh, the young folks go and take advantage of that because it's obviously a a bittersweet night for a lot of them, right? And you get to throw the cap and, you know, go out with your friends or whatever. But uh, in this case, Meg chose instead of um, walking across the stage, Meg chose to go and um, walk uh, to a race car. And she ended up walking to Victory Lane, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, she got... Uh, she got a trophy and and her diploma, which I'm sure will be um, handed to her in some sort of way. But, uh, yeah, that's always neat when you see somebody do that. And it doesn't always happen. A lot of a lot of young drivers skip their graduation um, to, to go race or they skip the prom or whatever. But few of them end up winning that night. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, cool stuff. Uh, to me, that, that's, that's the stuff that everybody wants to see. Um, oh, yeah. <clears throat> so... Meg Fuller picking up the win. This coming weekend, they've got a big show uh, for two days up there at Stafford. Friday night, they've got the Open Modified 100, their first 100-lap venture as an Open Modified uh, division uh, with NAP Auto Parts on board. So uh, they're on track. And then uh, Saturday, the SK 5K, uh, presented by NAP Auto Parts, $5,000 to win 100 laps for the SK division. So two nights of racing this week. Got the Open Modifieds on Friday. Uh, and the SK5K on Saturday, so that's going to put on uh, what you know what's going to be a really good show, I think, uh, for two nights there at Stafford. Weather looks good. I know it's early in the week, but uh, <clears throat> you know they haven't run that many races. They they obviously were delayed starting because of COVID, and now they get to this point in the season uh, with a few rain delays races, uh, and and they missed two or three because of rain. So uh, they've got four or five in now. They're looking to get in. 
a good chunk of them in August, September, uh, and October and trying to salvage their season over at Stafford. And I think, Tom, for most tracks, that's what it is, just trying to salvage the season and get through this mess uh, and hope that you can get to 2021. And, and hopefully by then things are back to somewhat normal. Yeah, I mean, that's really uh, this. It, we've we've said it before in the show. This is such a lost season in a way. You're really just trying to um, it, it's it's kind of like hanging on to the life raft, right? You're just trying to hang on and weather the storm and get through it. And Stafford's done a great job of managing uh, their situation and good to see him finally getting some shows in and good to see Seacock starting to uh, get some shows in. They've got a few uh, Fast Friday shows in now and uh, finally getting to run a Saturday race coming up. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we talked about New York earlier, the no spectators deal. Same in Massachusetts. They're so tough uh, to work with uh, to, to try to get some spectators in an arena. I guess you call it an arena. I don't. But a, a track that seats people yeah. all the way around in a circle, a third of a mile, all the way around the track, people can sit. Um and unfortunately, the state not allowing it. But you mentioned their Fast Friday. They have run three of them now. No spectators. They've been pretty good. Uh, the Friday nights are trophy division. So, you know, it, and the money coming in the back gate is, is not being distributed in a purse. Um, <clears throat> Saturday night, they're taking a chance here. Uh, and I don't think people realize the chance that they're going to take here. But they're, they're running three of their four divisions. They eliminated their super late model division just because the purse structure is too high. They won't be able to pay that with no fans, right. but their weight models, their street stocks, and their sport trucks, pickup trucks, um, you know, they're going to pay out a normal purse, no cut in the purses at all. Um, so props to them for doing that, number one. Number two, it's a risk, um, you know, with the front gate not open and people hopefully coming through the back, uh, you know, that's a good chunk of purse money they've got to pay out. So uh, risk for sure, but uh, hopefully it pans out well. I think it will. There was a practice session this past Saturday, and that panned out well. Uh, for them so uh, i think they'll be in good shape for this coming saturday night august the 8th as they open their saturday season they've got a great schedule for august uh with some races planned on saturdays but uh again like every other track out there uh they as well just trying to salvage the year and i think you've seen tracks in new york that can't have fans like oswego just simply you know they're not able to do it with no fans it's just not possible yeah um and secon taking a chance doing it unfortunately if it doesn't work then obviously they're not going to be able to keep doing it uh, for obvious reasons, but uh, taking a risk here and hoping that it uh, works, and I think it will, and uh, should produce a pretty dang good show, I think, on a Saturday night. They're not going to pay-per-view the races. Um, you know, that, it's just not in the cards right now, so they'll be up on YouTube the next day, which is pretty good. Um, and, of course, you know, social media is going to have the updates and everything like that, but uh, looking forward to getting back to some Saturday night racing. It felt kind of weird to see Saturday night cars on the track this week. Um and I guess that's just 2020 at this point. Yeah, well, it really is. And again, like you said, not all tracks are able to do that. Oswego's in a particularly kind of unique situation, I think, because um, they only run three divisions, and they're all super modifieds, various types of super modifieds. Um, you know, and it, it just, the purse, you just, it doesn't work. Uh, there's no math that lets that happen at a track like that. If you if you took off the super modified, the big blocks, you'd only be running the 350s and the um, the SPS cars that they run. Um, and I, and I just I don't think that's really a, a good enough show for a pay per view or whatever. Not to you know disrespect those divisions, but um, you know so it's Seacock is doing something very interesting, and I, I'm. 
uh, I'm going to be anxious to see how that works out. I hope uh, I hope it works out for those guys. What this is what the 75th anniversary, right? Of of Seacon. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What, what a, a messed up 75th. Yeah, year. exactly. So I was going to say, what a bummer for your 75th anniversary to have to scratch and claw just to get shows in like that. But um, but they're trying, and uh, you know, again, I. I I applaud any racetrack that can make it work without totally. You know, I've seen some tracks, um, you know, down here in this area. I'm, uh, again, for those who don't know, maybe you're listening for the first time. I'm actually down outside of the Charlotte, North Carolina area, and Kyle's up in New England. Um, but my background is up there. I was born and raised in, in Oswego, New York. So um, that's kind of how we got together on this podcast. But some of the tracks down here, I've seen run seven, eight, ten divisions, and it's just it's not it's not a fan-friendly show the thing goes on for five six hours and you're out of the track at midnight or one in the morning that just doesn't i understand you try to pile in the back gate to make up for you know smaller or non-existent front gate but it's just not much fun um and so i applaud any track that can make it work without resorting to that and i think new england's one of those areas even if you can you know in the areas where you can get half your grandstand full uh, you know, you can still do okay, and the fan interest is surely there because there's so little racing in the area to go to that wherever it shows up and they're allowed to get in the gate, they just flock to it. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's hard. Uh, this is, is a hard situation. Yeah. And hopefully people come through the back gate. Uh, you know, there's a limit on that too, obviously. Right. Uh, how many people can do that? So uh, risk, again, it's a big risk. Um, big risk for the track, and we'll see uh, – how things pan out here over the next couple of weeks uh, at Seekonk with no fans. Most of the other tracks in New England are running with fans or not running at all. Right. Um, yep. So they're, they're a little bit of a risk they're taking and that they feel confident taking that risk and what car count they think they're going to get. So um, see how it plays out, Tom. Looking forward to that this coming Saturday and then the, the Saturdays to come for a strike track tour back in action coming up um, again in the next couple of weeks as well. So uh, should be uh, one heck of a show, I think. Uh, over the next month or so in the New England region, it, it kind of feels to me like this is the opening month or so of the season yeah. uh, when, when you get all these shows kind of stacked on top of each other. But oddly enough, the race season's almost over. Um, yeah. And that's a, a harsh reality as it gets cold pretty quickly up here uh, in this area. So looking forward to seeing what happens here in the next couple of weeks. And uh, again, uh, we got to thank Doug Kobe. I mean, you know, coming on board, always uh, willing to chat for a bit. Uh, put some time forward to discuss it with us. And uh, I guess, Tom, for now, uh, hopefully everybody stays safe and uh, you know, continue to wear the mask and social distance. And I do want to touch quickly, though, before we go, yeah, um, on that, that cup race at Loudon. I was up there. Um, they did a pretty good job of social distancing, the masks. Um, so prove to me that big events like that can happen in New England correctly with the correct restrictions in place, and they can pan out well for us yeah and that um, was one of the best cup races at loudon i've ever seen yeah uh i agree 100 percent. so great race uh, between there, Aaron and brad uh you know the media that they kept us in the press box just like they're doing in every other track um but you know no problem a good show good race uh and you know i mentioned earlier at the top of the broadcast that full throttle weekend scheduled for the second weekend in september uh includes the mod tour the i believe the arc is there as well the ARCA East, and then the American Canadian Tour late models as well. Um, that's still on for now. So uh, hoping we don't have to announce a postponement of that or anything, uh, as I feel like we postponed just about everything in the world this year. Um, <laughs> but 
you know, that's still on and looking forward to that. And uh, whatever's coming up here in this region over the next couple of months before it gets cold and uh, snow starts falling and we got to shut the racetracks down to that instead of the coronavirus. Well, we'll just, yeah, exactly. We'll just spend the off season uh, talking with drivers and uh, letting them tell stories. We'll get some, see if we can get some of the legends and some other folks on and just uh, have some fun shows in the off season when he gets to that. Just, uh, um, you know, talking about uh, old days or whatever. Uh, It's always a a great time to do that. So um, appreciate everybody uh, obviously listening and sharing, and we hope you'll keep doing that. Uh, it's, um, it's a lot of fun to do this show and to talk about these divisions and, uh, and, and New England part of the motorsports world, a whole lot of talent and a lot of nice people up there as well. Uh, thanks to Kyle Souza again, as always, for being a part of the show. And thanks to Doug Kobe for being our featured guest. Congratulations to Doug Kobe on getting his first win as a car owner and uh, getting that little monkey off his back before it grew to adult size. And uh, now we can go forward and just try to duplicate it. So uh, with that being said, we will wrap things up for this week. For uh, Kyle Souza, I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening. Have a safe and blessed weekend. And uh, we will talk to you next week on the next edition of the Mainly Modifieds podcast. So long. You've been listening to Mainly Modifieds, the show where ground pounders and northeast speed freaks come to get their radio fix on. The show is available on demand by searching Race Chaser Radio on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Music, and most other major podcast platforms. Visit RaceChaserMedia.com for more unique motorsports stories and radio content. And follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.